I correct the record. I, to... I told him that was the first movie my daddy ever took us to see, and the only movie my daddy ever took us to see, and then he fussed all the way through it. Uh, Y'all remember that? You're not old enough to remember that, are you? The I don't know, I've watched it. <laughs> all right, Galatians. Galatians chapter number 6, if you want to go ahead and turn over there. Glad to be back with you tonight. And pray the Lord to bless our services. Galatians chapter number 6. I was, I was sitting there thinking, back in 1982, uh, when I first started trying to preach, uh, and and I say started trying. That's right. uh, I wanted to preach somewhere, and so me and another fella uh, got together, went to the VA hospital in Beckley, West Virginia, on Sunday evenings, and hold ser- held services for those men that were there in long-term care, and we go visiting. Uh, the, the top floor of the VA hospital, that's where the extended care unit was. And, and the orderlies were great. They'd wheel these old men down in wheelchairs and bring them down to their beds, lean them up, and they would listen to preaching. And uh, I got chased off the top floor of the VA hospital by a Jew, an old Jew with a cane. Uh, when I went into his room and tried to witness to him, I thought everybody wanted to be witnessed to. Uh, and he chased me off that top floor. And everybody asked, what would you do? I ran. He had a cane. <laughs> he was coming after me. Uh, but we'd go down to chapel service, and they, they had a little chapel area there. And they'd wheel those men in beds and wheelchairs. And, and uh, they always wanted to try to sing, and I had to try to lead the singing. And we didn't have any piano player or nothing. And so a bunch of sick old men singing and they always, they had, their favorite song is when I survey the wondrous cross. Every time we sing that song in church, I think about that. But the, I love hearing those old men sing when I survey the wondrous cross. And uh, anyway, that came to my mind as we were singing a cappella uh, there. Uh, piano covers a multitude of sins. That's what I like about a piano player. All right, Galatians chapter number six. I'm not going to spend a lot of time in. I got, I got, a, I got a headache myself this evening. Uh, just came on a few minutes ago. Uh, and so you might be blessed tonight that I'll move through this as quickly as I can. I, do, I will tell you this. I, I've got, I don't know what you call what I've got tonight. I saved it for tonight just for this reason, prayer meeting night, uh, and talking mostly certainly to church members. Uh, I don't know if you, got, if you call what I've got tonight a sermon a uh, little talk, whatever you call it. Uh, I've got some things to, to say that may sound harsh. Uh, I hope you take it in the spirit that it is intended. I don't take lightly going into another man's pulpit. Uh, make it a practice, not go there and uh, try to pastor his church. You've got a good pastor. Uh, you, you don't need me to come in and try to mess up what your, I know Brother Clint quite well. I'm not going to mess up what he does. Uh, and I'm not going to try to come in and indoctrinate you. That's not what I'm here for. Uh, 
this week. I hope to encourage you. I hope to even challenge you a little bit. So I'm going to say some things at the outset. It may sound a little rough. Hang with me, and hopefully I will uh, clarify them as we go along. But let me read my text, Galatians chapter number 6. Paul said, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. Now, by the way, there's not a contradiction at all uh, between what he said in verse number 2 and what he said in verse number 5. On the one hand, he says we ought to be the kind of people that we do seek to bear one another's burdens. But listen, ultimately, I'm going to answer for me. I'll never answer for you. I'll, I'll answer for me and what I've done. You, you likewise. So for every man shall bear his own burden. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth through the Spirit shall the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men. And then he said, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. As we have therefore opportunity... Let us do good unto all men, and then especially, he says, unto them who are of the household of faith. Now, I, I got to add this caveat in before I begin, uh, because every now and then, when I, I study for a message, uh, I come out thinking that message is directed uh, especially to me. Now, I, I bet you, you, you've experienced that many times uh, uh, when you sit in your study. I feel like it was directed to me more than anybody else. And, and, and you know, preachers get their messages a lot of different ways. Sometimes you, you'll talk about things maybe going on currently in our midst and in our churches. Uh, you may talk in general terms about things that's going on uh, in, in Christianity in general or in our society uh, but I got to tell you, uh, the text that I read to you speaks to me and convicts me. It may not mean that much to you, uh, but it convicts me. The issue at hand is how do we respond to a brother or to a sister that falls in some form or fashion. How do we respond to them? Now, I, I, I can tell you how we should respond. Paul says, if a brother be, if a man be overtaken in a fault, then you which are spiritual, you which are mature, 
You restore such a one, he said, in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Now, that's how we should respond. But how do we respond really many times? Now, I'm going to say this, and this is a general statement. It's not an accusation about this church. But I have found that there have been many times that we as members of the Lord's churches can sometimes come across as being some of the cruelest and hard-hearted people on the face of the earth. Now, if that upset you, let me just go ahead and jump in with both feet. What I have found, and I've pastored one of the Lord's churches now for over 36 years, what I have found is that Many times, the, the, the very place we should find the most compassion, you know what I'm talking about, the most forgiveness, many times we find the least. I think what we have done is that we have built up this facade of somehow being holier than thou, but we are in many ways like the church of Laodicea that I talked about this Monday night. Uh, you know, we, we say we are rich and increase with goods and have need of nothing. And we tend, to, we tend to look down on somebody who may be struggling in their Christian life, in their Christian walk. Uh, we, we, we tend to look down on those sometimes as somebody that might be struggling in areas that we don't think they should be struggling in, you know. May I remind you again of what Jesus said to that church? He said, listen, you think you are rich and you increase with goods and you have needed nothing. You've got to understand you're not all that much. He didn't say it like that. He said, but you don't even know that you are wretched. You are miserable. You're, you're poor. You're blind. You're naked. Folks, you're not all that much. You've you got to get over yourself. You know. I, I've heard it said that if you live in a glass house, you better not throw rocks. Well, listen, I live in a glass house. I do. But what I think has happened over it's happened over a period of time, but it's, I think it's even more evident today, is that there is a pattern that has developed in our land, and that, that pattern has quickly turned into uh, the norm, uh, and that is that we have allowed the worldly psychologists and the worldly psychiatrists try to fill a void that has been vacated by the Lord's church. Now you say, what do you mean by that? I mean by that, there used to be a time when, when God's people were hurting in some way or they had a problem. They would come to God's people, they would come to the church or they'd come to the pastor and they would go to that member or that person and they would pray with them, they would weep with them, they would, they would try to encourage them and so not necessarily solving their problems. I'll tell you what I figured out a long time ago. I don't have the answers for some of the messes that people get into. You know, I mean, I have the answer to the Word of God, but I don't know how to go in there and fix the messes. We, we, people make messes of their lives. But they would go to them, they would pray with them, they would weep with them, and, and, and today, 
People don't come to the church so much or to the pastor so much and say, you know what, I, I, I need help. I've got a problem. I need you to pray for me in this area. And the reason they don't do that so much is their fear of being looked down upon uh, or talked about later on. Now, if, if you think I'm off base, you can tell me later. I'm just thinking out loud a little bit here. But there, what I'm trying to impress on you tonight, there is a principle in the Word of God, what I would call spiritual restoration, that is taught in the Word of God. And, and the idea is that if a brother or sister does fall, if they repent, if they come before the church, then, man, we forgive them, we restore them, and then, you know what, we hush about it. There's the rub. Right? We hush about it. It doesn't mean we sweep their sin under the rug. Doesn't mean we condone their sin. We do too much of that also sometimes. Try to hide our sin. But it does mean that if they repent, then we forgive them, we restore them, and then hush. It's done. It's over with. It does mean sympathizing with them. It does mean even empathizing with them. It does mean that we realize that by the grace of God, go out. You know, so I, 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 it's a difficult subject, but let me divide this in three ways tonight. More of a Bible study, perhaps. But I want to talk to you tonight about what I would call spiritual restoration. In the first place, uh, let me point out what I would call the, pre, the, the principle of, restor, uh, of restoration. And here it is again. Paul says, brethren, if a, if a man be overtaken in a fall, he says, you which are spiritual, you restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, consider thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Now, there is that important principle that's taught throughout the word of God. Basically, what it is in a nutshell is that, you know what? We ought to be as loving as God is loving. We ought to be as forgiving as God is forgiving. Would you agree with that? Now, this principle has two sides. It has a failure and then it has forgiveness. Now, I'm going to tell you, we got the first side down pat. I don't have any problem with the failure. I do that quite well all the time. You know what you soon find out? There's not one single solitary one of you sitting here tonight that is above this thing of sin. We all sin. We all fail. I, I used to think, and I actually look forward to getting older because I thought if I got older, I'd be above certain sins. You ever think like that? Uh, I, I somehow overcome certain things. Listen, the longer I live, the more I find out how weak I really am. You see, that's a terrible thing for preachers to say. I got a worse thing to say to you. I also discovered how weak you really are. How weak we all and you see, the marvelous thing about the Bible, the Bible gives us a lot of examples of it. I'm talking about, uh, I'm talking about the great men and women of God who did mighty, mighty exploits in the cause of Christ, and yet they also sinned some very grievous sins, right? Uh, David is a classic example. Now, I don't know what you think about David. David's my heroes of, of the Bible. I love reading David. David was a, David was a man after God's own heart. David was the apple of God's eye. David, who, who was God's chosen king, 
Saul was the people's choice. David was God's choice, you see. David, who wrote some of the most beautiful expressions of worship you ever find in the Word of God. If you really want to learn how to, how to worship, read the writings and the words of David. David knew how to worship God. And yet, we all know, David also committed some very grievous sins. You see, David not only committed adultery, uh, but he also committed murder and killed a man so he might have that man's wife. Now, now, did David pay for that sin? You betcha. The sword never left his house, you see. But he was a man of God. Samson, a man separated from birth, a man with a Nazarite vow upon him, yet because of his lust and love for Delilah, committed a very grievous sin. Now, did Samson pay for that sin? You betcha. You know. Providentially, Samson paid for that sin. Can I say many times things happen in our life, providentially, for a reason. My old pastor used to say, if I robbed a bank and I got my arm shot off, yeah, I could be forgiven for that, but I'll go through the rest of my life with my arm shot off. You know. But it goes like that throughout the Word of God. The point is, I'm talking about men, mighty men of God who did great things in the cause of God and truth, and yet, you know what you find out? They had feet of clay. What you find out, folks, we all have feet of clay. Right? We all do. I've seen preachers fall. And, and I'm not talking about these money grubbers on TV, but I'm talking about men of God that I look, some of these men stood 10 foot tall to me, and when they fail, I, it almost destroyed me personally. But we all fall. That's the marvelous thing about the Word of God. It doesn't try to sugarcoat what these men did. It gives you not only their strengths, but in, very, in, in, very, in great clarity, it shows you their weaknesses. We all fall. Now, let me say this. Even though it's wrong to fall, I believe you never really know what grace is all about until you recover from that fall. Right. You see but the first part of the, that principle is the falling. We don't have any trouble with that. We all fall. The second part is not just the failure, but it's the forgiveness. Now, there is where the rub comes in. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, then you which are spiritual, you restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. Therefore, the problem, now, by the way, uh, uh, it, it, I don't want to read a lot to you, I, I've got, but I'll read these to you. Here's what Paul said in Ephesians chapter number 4. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. The word vocation there means calling. Well, Paul said, you walk worthy of the calling wherewith you are called. How do you do that? With all lowliness and meekness and long-suffering and forbearing one another. Some, you know what that means? Sometimes you just got to put up with one another. Right? I love all my members. 
I've got one or two I might trade now and then, but I love all the members at Faith Baptist Church. It's putting up with one, forbearing one another in love and endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You go to the end of the chapter, verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind. One, You know what? If we learn that in our churches, a little kindness... Those will be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, forgave you. Hmm. Paul tells us, he said, if any man have a quarrel against any, is it in the book of Colossians, I just popped in my head, that you forgive one another as Christ has forgiven you. I'm, I'm paraphrasing it, but that's the essence of it. Paul said in the 14th chapter of Romans, We that are strong, we ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. It's not about you at all. We, we ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. And, and, and it goes like it. Now, Somebody says, well, how many times are we to do this? Let me ask you a question. How many times has God forgiven you? Jesus said one time, if a brother trespass against you, you seven times in a day. Now, where I come from, they used to say, fool, fool me once, you know, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Uh, but he says, listen, if a brother trespass against you seven times in a day, and seven times... He turned again and said, I, I, I repent. You know what it says? Thou shalt forgive him. Doesn't matter how you feel. It's not an option. He doesn't say you ought to forgive him. It's not based on how you feel. Doesn't matter what you say. Well, he doesn't deserve forgiveness. You know what? You didn't deserve forgiveness either. Did you? Thou shalt forgive him. I think a lot about this because I guess... Uh, my old Adamic nature goes completely opposite of that. A little payback is good sometimes, isn't it? I think we need a lesson in what forgiveness really means. You, I mean, you ever thought about what it really means if you tell somebody, I forgive you? I, uh, if, they, if they apologize to you and say, I forgive you, brother. You ever thought about what that really means? Number one, it means, listen, I'll never mention that thing to you again. You ladies are good at when old knot-headed husband messes up and he says, I'm sorry. And you're kind-hearted and you forgive him. And two days later he does some another knot-headed thing as we're prone to do. And you know what you do? You throw up what he did just a few days before that. You really hadn't forgiven him. Right? Don't you understand that's what God did for us? Listen, God said, the psalmist said, as far as the east is from the west. Let me give you a, a, an important lesson here. You cannot get any further than that. Now think about this. If, I, if you start out going north, go north for a long ways, eventually you're going to start going south. Right? You go north, eventually you're going to start going south. You start out going east, you can keep going east and keep going east and keep going east. You'll never go west. East and west never meets. And that's what God said he's done with our sins. As far as the east is from the west, 
So far has he removed our iniquities or transgressions, I forget I said, from us. You're saying, I'll never, if somebody says, I'm sorry, you say, I forgive you, you say, I'll never mention that to you again. It's done. Number two, you're saying, also, when you say, I forgive you, you're saying, I'll never mention it to anyone else again. If Brother Clint does something to me and offends me and, and Brother Clint comes to me and apologizes to me and Brother, I, I'm really sorry. I said, Brother Clint, that's all right. I, I forgive you. And then two days later, I run in uh, to somebody else. I said, you know what old Clint did to me the other day? Ain't that what we're good at? Then I, did, I really didn't forgive him, did I? I'll never mention it to you again. I'll never mention it to anyone else again. I'll never even mention it to myself again. Belinda and I have been married 42 years come December. Sweethearts for 45 years. It's 46 years in August. And we, we, we've always made it a practice. If we're pouting at one another, we still had to kiss one another goodnight and say, I love you. And as I said the other night, Belinda goes to sleep quicker than anybody I've ever seen in my life. But really, if I... If I claim it's over and I lay over and pout about it and want to kick her out of bed because she's able to sleep and I'm not. I hadn't really forgiven her. Right? You know what God God, it, God said something one time about your sins. I cast it behind my back. And you're saying God doesn't really have a back. He doesn't really have, he talks about it in God's hands. He doesn't really have hands. It's called anthropomorphism. I want to throw that in because I want to sound smart. That's a that's a theological word that, that describes body parts of God. God is a spirit, you see. But God said, I, I, I cast your sins behind my back, never to be remembered anymore. God says, I not only will I not mention it to you again, I'll not mention anybody else again, I won't even mention it to myself again. So you better take very seriously what you, when you say, I forgive you, because it means a lot. Now, how do you do that? He said, in the spirit uh, of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. In verse 3, you are to underline it. Everybody boy I had, I had this underline. For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. You better consider yourself. You remember when the lady was taken in adultery, caught red-handed? In the very act, brought to the Lord and said, The law, Moses said, she ought to be stoned. What do you say? Remember, Jesus knelt down and on the ground, and people speculate what he wrote. I have no idea what he wrote. But it had an effect on the fellows that were. Maybe he wrote. See, they didn't bring the man. If she was caught in the very act, where was the man? They brought the woman. Maybe he wrote the man's name. I don't know. Okay. But anyway, when he finished, he stood up. Where's, where's all your accusers? But they're gone. He said, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. He didn't say, I was sweeping under the rug. You go and sin no more. What would it have felt like then when those men in the crowd when he began to write on the ground? You better consider yourself. Right? So we have the principle of restoration. Secondly, we have the precept that backs up that principle. Here it is. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, what is it? That shall he also reap. 
Let me tell you, that is an eternal, unchangeable preset. It holds true in every area of your life. You will reap what you sow. If you sow corn, don't expect to sow beans. I learned a hard lesson about reaping and sowing one time. When, when we lived on top of the mountains, I said the other night, Daddy always used horse and plow to plow the ground. But he was, we were planting a garden in a new area, new ground. It had a lot of roots and it couldn't plow, so we had to dig it up by hand. And Mommy gave us, a, we call them zinc buckets, I don't know what you call them, water buckets, you know, full of corn and beans in each. And I don't remember if we had to put three corn and two beans, I forget what the ratio was. I, and we wanted to play football. And so she said, but you cannot play football until you plant all them corn and beans. Well, me and my two brothers started out down this long road, putting a three corn, two bean, or vice versa, I forget what it was. Always down this road, and at the end of that road, there's a big old hollow stump, chestnut stump there. And every time we come by that stump, we dump a handful of corn and beans in that stump. So we wouldn't hurry up and get planted until we get out of there. And that's all we got by with it. But man, I'll tell you what, the prettiest mess of corn and beans cropped up. <laughs> you know, the Bible says, be sure your sin will find you out. You will reap what you sow. Right? If you sow seeds of discord and strife in your life, don't expect to reap unity, folks. If you will not, in fact, Jesus said, if you will forgive, your Father will forgive you. Now, ain't this a scary statement? But if you will not, you've got somebody in your life you just can't forgive, you better watch yourself. Bitterness will eat you alive. If you will not forgive, he said, your Father in Heaven won't forgive you either. You're going to reap what you sow. That's hard, isn't it? I know this. When I fall, not if, I guarantee you I'll fall in some form or fashion. I've done it many times, more than anybody in this room, I'd say. But when I fall, I want somebody to come to me, maybe somebody that's been through that in their life, and try to help me and pray with me, weep with me. I don't know. That's not the time to tell me what a dirty, rotten sinner I am. I already know what a dirty, rotten sinner I am. But if I want that, I better practice that. Let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. What does the Bible say? Cast thy bread upon the waters, and thou shalt find it after many days. That's the law of reaping and sowing, isn't it? They that plow iniquity and sow wickedness shall reap the same. They that sow iniquity shall reap vanity. They that sow to the wind shall reap the whirlwind. That's the precept that drives it. If you want forgiveness, you better practice forgiveness. You want to say last thing. Notice what I call the practice of restoration. Verse, and what I mean by that, verse 10 says, As we therefore have opportunity, let us do good unto all men, and especially those, them of the household of faith. Now, what I mean by the practice of, of restoration, folks, this is something we have to practice every day in our life. Paul says, let us, let us do good unto all men. You ought to be, the members of this church ought to be the best citizens in this community. You should have a good reputation. People should think well of you. You should do good unto all men. Right? 
What did Jesus say? You let your light so shine before men. Right? That they may see your good works and do what? And glorify your Father which is in heaven. We ought to be the best at everything we do. You ought to be the best student. You ought to be the best employee. If you got, if you if you got, uh, if you're an employer, you ought to be the best employer. Peter said, "Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak evil against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they behold glorify God in the day of visitation. Let's do good unto all men." But listen to me, especially unto them that are in the household of faith. It is a shame. It is a sham the way we treat one another sometimes in God's house. I've seen stuff between church members and, and professed Christians that ought not be. We ought to prefer one another. Listen, we ought to be the kind of people that build one another up, not tear one another down. Right? Now here's how important this is. Bear you one another, verse 2, bear you one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now, what is the law of Christ? The theologian comes along and says, well, the law of Christ is to be doctrinally sound. Cross all your T's, dot all your I's. That's important, but I, I disagree with the theologian. That's not the law of Christ. The legalists come along and say, the law of Christ... Is you know you got to dress like me. If you're not if you're not dressed like, and I got I, I get so sick of hearing this. Sometimes in our Baptist, it's killing our Baptist churches. It really is. You, you know, if you don't dress like me, you're not spiritual like me. By the way, I don't know. I said this the other day too. I don't know who invented this crazy thing, but I'm sure I won't see him in heaven. You know, the legalists of that law. No, I disagree with the legalists. I'll tell you what the law of Christ is. Jesus said one time, a new commandment I give unto you, John chapter 13, that you love one another as I have loved you. So also love one another. And then he said, by this, not by what you say, not by what you do, not by how you look, not by even what you believe, but by how you love. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if you have loved one for another. I, 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 I don't know. Maybe you, you know I don't know enough about this by the way I preach it. But I, I tell you something. I'm tired of letting the world, the worldly counselors and the psychologists and psychiatrists, steal something away from us that belongs to us. This, this ought to be the place in this community where people find the most love, most compassion, most forgiveness. is right here, Grace Baptist Church. That's the principle of restoration. Brother, I'll quit.